Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Susanna Skyer Gupta. Thanks, Ray. This is the RayWenderlich.com podcast. Welcome to episode six for season 12. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, the 11th of January, 2022, for release on the 26th of January. 2022. This episode is sponsored by Healthy Breakfast Choices, and we'll talk more about that soon. I'm your host, Drew Freeman, with my co-host, Suzanne Skyer-Gupta. Thanks, Drew. This episode, we'll talk with Alex Sullivan, who's a freelance mobile app developer and experienced RayWenderlich.com author and Season 10 podcast host. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come back to the show and not immediately squashing any attempt to have me on. <laughs> That's right. We, we basically chained you away from us. He says, no, we can't have Alex back. Yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. It was with a bat. It was, it was aggressive, but I had to get out. It was the avocado toast, man. Oh, yeah. I, I just couldn't take any more yeah, avocado toast. I, I have to say, legitimately, one of my biggest regrets over the past few years is not mailing you the ingredients to avocado <laughs> toast. I, I was just thinking, like, that would be actually really gross to mail if you mailed oh, it. It would have been so nasty. Like, that would completely not work. <laughs> yeah, like an old rotten avocado. <laughs> and some salt. You know, not, I'm imagining it not even in, like, a salt shaker or, like, a salt, just, just, just loose like grains salt. of salt in See, but that's, around that's a rotting problem, piece of avocado. Avocados- you're saying you're sending a, a not fresh avocado. Avocados only are fresh for a period of like eight seconds. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Not ripe. Not yeah. ripe. Not ripe. Now spoiled. So, it's just, yeah. <laughs> somehow it. they're they're not. Yeah, they're like hard and not ready to eat for I don't know three weeks, and then ripe and good to eat for eighteen seconds, and then rotten. It's like that. In, that in between time is aggressively small, especially for such an expensive fruit. It's a fruit, right? That feels I mean, unreasonable. So, so for people who didn't listen in for season ten, it was it was Alex's desire for me to try al- uh, avocado toast, and I finally did at the end of the season, and I I, I tried it. And it was his maybe favorite thing in the maybe, world. <laughs> maybe I didn't get all of the right seasonings correct. But it wasn't horrible. And there you go. That's all I could look that's, for. There's really that's, no seasons. That's a ringing endorsement. <laughs> yeah. So I I want to find where the reference came from, right? Because Alex, whenever he's whenever Drew speaks of you, it's Alex Sullivan avocado toast. <laughs> that's good. You know, not Alex Sullivan reactive programming animations. It's it's avocado toast. Oh yeah, avocado and toast. And so I listened to the very first, you know, meet the hosts tiny episode from season 10 and i know there's a reference to avocado toast being a thing for millennials yeah so do you think so like i want to say so i've actually had a ton of avocado toast <laughs> but it was my 22 year old daughter who said i should start eating it love it so so why why so, why do the millennials eat avocado toast? like how did you guys discover this like it I, is i personally i think it's delicious but so, you know what's funny is I actually, I mean, this could be total nonsense. I'm sure there's some statistician listening to this who knows all about avocado toast. No, there's not. Um, oh, but you never know. I, I, yeah, you never know. I think that what it was was there was this, like, article in some random journal, not not even journal, like some local newspaper that talked about how millennials couldn't afford houses because they were too busy buying expensive Starbucks lattes and avocado toast. So then I think, I think avocado toast got linked with millennials. But then I think that in like a fascinating turnaround, 
we, the millennial generation, after making avocado jokes, avocado toast jokes, were like, well, I want to try some avocado toast. Tried it, and it turned out to be amazing. So that that's what I it's think. It's actually really good. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it was it was that. I, I had article. heard the whole the, I had heard the whole thing. It was like the reason that millennials eat avocado toast is because it's cheaper than owning a house. <laughs> that's implicitly true of every single food. I think, depending on the house okay, and the food, so I guess. Let's talk pandemic and the point we're at in this oh, yeah. confusing, mm-hmm. unending pandemic. So I guess when you started season ten. It was it was before it was in the before time and then that yeah. came up on you during the season yeah so how's it been and how is it now and yeah um so for for me and my family it's extraordinarily luckily been fine um i have oh thank god i have one extended family member who had a, a tough bout with COVID, and she was in a hospital for a few days but she she recovered fully um good and and a few other relatives that got it, but we're fine. But me and my immediate family have all avoided getting it. Actually, no, that's wrong. My brother got it right towards the beginning, like in that in that first summer, I think. But he got a very mm-hmm. mild version. I think he was sick for like one day, and then he's oh, a wow. super healthy dude. So he he snapped right back. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky in that. And I guess my father in law got. You know, it's it's been so long that I'm like, oh wait, it's this person so got it. This person got it. Like, this person got yeah. it. Yeah. It's been. It's just. It, it's it, it's the pandemic that just has not ended. I know. It just keeps going. And I I remember. I mean, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. You know, memory jogger. Like we were doing the podcast when it started, and it was mm-hmm. you know still this novel thing that was like, hey, you know, right? What's going on you with remember? you? Yeah. We'd yeah. call it like the novel coronavirus because yeah. it was because yeah. colds are a coronavirus. And right. I was like, it's not novel. Yeah, just, no, just no. Go sit down, coronavirus. We're so sick of you. Now. Be done. Be gone with you. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 kind of convinced right now that the the focus is on the word Omicron now, so oh, yeah. that maybe Corona can get some business back for their beer. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a funny little dip, right? Where they actually like lost some business because of the association. I assume that it snapped mm-hmm. they, back. They, they got heard. I assume that it snapped bad. back, but who knows? This this could just be Corona's in you wow. know year three of. Horrible business like, or something like this. Right. Lines. Nobody wants something called that. <laughs> yeah. So what changed for you professionally and personally? And what have you like? Sure. What what remains different? Yeah. So it's it's actually interesting. I started I I started a remote job, my first full time remote job the in January of 2020, which was right before mm-hmm. it like hit. Good timing. Yeah, and, I, and, mm-hmm. and it's ironic because one of the main reasons I took that job was because it was remote. And then mm-hmm. immediately afterwards, every single job in the world, or not every single job, but mm-hmm. you know, 90% of the tech jobs field, yeah, became remote. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in that interim, I, I had that job. Uh, it was at an early stage startup and it hit some um, funding troubles. So I, I stopped working at that job. I started freelancing. I worked with one client for eight or so months. Then I took some time off. I traveled for three months in Nepal, which I only recently got back from. And then I started oh, another wow. contract. So it's been a lot has happened in the interim. Yeah. 
Okay, so you okay, so and you've traveled during this. So yeah, that's just that one, that one thing. So my my wife is Nepali, so we went to to visit her family in Nepal, and Nepal actually had and has way better COVID rates than the U.S. Like they were, you know, at super super low numbers after the big spike that hit India and the whole subcontinent. Um, so, you know, at first we. We were nervous about traveling because of COVID. And when we got to Nepal, ironically, my father-in-law tested positive for COVID that day. Oh, so no. we all had to isolate for 10 days or so. But the actual transmission rate of COVID in Nepal um, was really low, though now they're starting to see Omicron and now it's starting to spike. But yeah, but yeah we did we did some big traveling. Yeah. I'm glad you made it through that because, you know, my, my traveling is consistent of I go to the grocery store around nice. the corner. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I, I think the furthest I've been is Ohio. Okay. From, all right. from Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah, and that's, still... that's, that's really not much at all, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm terrified. I haven't to been on a plane since it started and that it does feel weird. Yeah. Um, it... And it'll, it will feel weird going back. I know. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where, like, I mean, we, so like I said, the, the COVID rates were great in Nepal, and we were going to stay with um, family, some of whom were were um, not immunocompromised, but were having health issues, and we, we wanted to be very mindful and very, so, you know, we, we were double masking up on the plane and all that stuff, um, and they were, they're quite strict about it. So So the flight attendants that are walking through, if they see you, you know, with, your mask off they'll they'll tell you and wait for you to put it on if they see you with it you know under your nose or any of the stuff that people do that makes it kind of useless to wear a mask they'll call you out on that but the the weird thing was you know in the middle of the, it's an international flight and and we had two flights that were like 10 and 8 hours it's a long it's far away oh, um, that's long and in the middle of it you you get a meal so during the meal Everybody takes off all their masks and everybody's eating. And it's kind of this moment where you're like, does this make sense? Like, it's like you said, all right, pause. No pandemic now. Have some, you know, wonderful airplane food. Okay, back to pandemic. Yeah. Right. It was weird. I mean, I guess with all of these, you know, you just try and you try and do what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's really what it is. You, You just. You know, you, we can't all be in a bubble, right? Like, I, I don't have a plastic bubble that I can live in that, that's virus-free. So you just have to do what you can when you can. And, and mm-hmm. that's it. That's all you can do. Working remotely has helped a lot on that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Keep yourself contained to your own family. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, yeah, the, the amount, obviously, like the amount of exposure that... Again, on a day to day is super low because I'm just at home with my wife. So we're exposing each other to our, you know, icky germs that we have. And that's it. You kind of signed up for that one. That's your family. And that's and that's, just, yeah. that's our family. Yeah. Let's let's turn to talk a little bit about development, because if I remember correctly, and well, we're going to get to this a little later, but the book was something you did after you were a co-host. Am I correct on that? The latest book is something I did after I was a co-host. I, I th- okay. think I had already done the reactive programming book. Okay. I think. I think so, yes. too. Yeah, I, I think I, so, I did. too. Yeah. 
You guys were really disciplined, actually, in that season. I was listening to the, you know, to the start of it, where you had. So, Alex, you came on to represent the Android world so Mm -hmm. we could present with expertise in that area. And you I guess you guys alternated iOS episode, Android episode Mm -hmm. back and forth. And we're not we're not um, quite as mindfully structured this season, but we definitely. we definitely want to share. We definitely want you to share your Android expertise <laughs> because that's not something that either <laughs> Drew, neither Drew nor I have that. Oh, yeah. I guess the new book is brand new. Yeah, it's, December. It's brand new. Yeah, yeah. It just when, it just when did it drop? December fifteenth. I want to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. But yeah, brand new. <laughs> Go ahead, plug the book. Oh yeah, so the new book is um, Android Animations by Tutorials. Uh, and it covers like the, uh, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm going to do this plug. Um, it covers a whole range of animations on Android, which actually is a huge topic. So I didn't even internalize how, you know, wide the API surface is for animations on Android before I started diving into this book. It covers view animations, list animations, screen transitions between fragments and activities. Um, it covers compose animations, XML animations, programmatic animations. All of the stuff is in there. And it's like, it's a fantastic way. You know, I'm biased. It's a fantastic way to get um, a good grounding of animations in Android, which is hard to do because there's so many APIs, some of which are kind of deprecated, but not really deprecated, but a little bit deprecated. And some of which are brand new, <laughs> but not used. So it, it's a, it's a great way to get some insight into the world of animations and it's animation. So it's fun. Yeah. The, the topic is just inherently fun. Yeah, absolutely. Who would be the right audience for this? Like who's it accessible to and like, could a brand new beginner just starting to learn mobile development do some cool things with this book? Yeah, so I think that um, if you're brand new to Android development and, and you haven't really done any, I think that the first section would be really fun to walk through because it does view animations and you some of the Android view animation code is dead simple. Like you can do myview.animate.x and you animate the X positions. That's wonderful. Towards the end of the book, it gets to more some some more complex stuff that you might want to have a little bit more grounding in Android development before you'll be able to um, fully appreciate everything there. But I think there's <laughs> I sound like a um, like a salesman selling like door to door dictionaries. Uh, <laughs> there's something in this book for everyone for all of the different experience levels, which sounds so corny, but it is true. So. Yeah, I think that everyone can really appreciate stuff in this book. Now, I take it the entire, is it all Kotlin? It is all Kotlin, yeah. All Kotlin okay. all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you just jump on the Kotlin ship and just sail that thing Oh, on. yeah, we've sailed far away. The shore is no longer in sight. I don't know how to write Java anymore. Gone on the Kotlin train. So um, what kind of demos or projects that are in the book did you uh, get to put together? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Great minds think alike. Um, I have, I have to, I have to steal some of the stuff from our notes. <laughs> Look. Um, so this book was a little unique in that we built up one book, or I'm sorry, we built up one project from the start to the finish. 
So you, oh, it, it's actually, okay. a, yeah, it's a project that was used in a previous Ray Wenderlich book. Um, oh, I can't remember the name, but it was a design book. Uh, it was, it was the, it was the app that was designed in the design book and then we implemented it. It's and... not bullseye, is it? No, I'm, eh, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't remember. Um, I know Pratik okay. worked on it. It was a book that okay. Pratik was involved in. Um, but yeah, so, so there was a, an app that was created. We, we did some, um, minor customizations to it from, from what was pr- presented directly in the UX book. And then each section implements a set of animations for a different set of screens. Um, okay. So yeah, so you it by the end of it, it's like the most animated, you know, like fluid app in the world. So yeah, it was it was really fun and it was really interesting to kind of um, single out different areas that made sense for different types of animations because it's also easy to throw a bunch of animations that add no actual value and make things worse. Right. And we wanted to be very mindful not to do that. So it was, it was fun finding the spots and spending the time because Mm -hmm. a lot of times you're not really given the opportunity to make animations. It it, it just kind of falls by the wayside. So it was was fun to do that. Yeah. Animations are one of those things that the product manager often comes in and says, I want an animation. Yeah. Yeah. And the the devs are basically left there going, (laughs) Which animation? One? <laughs> yeah, they, do they just, did that to yeah. me on a project. They were like, uh, they they wanted an animation, mm-hmm. so I basically took their skyline and and took their 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 main character and had her flying around the I back of the that. skyline. That's fantastic. Were, and did that that's like, did that meet the business need there? <laughs> no, it was completely unnecessary. But I got to learn Sprite Kit in the process, well, so go. I was happy. <laughs> was your that's was fun. your PM happy about it? Was everyone satisfied? Nope. Nobody, nobody, nobody was, was happy satisfied. with it. <laughs> <laughs> but you were like, look, we. But it does move. Sad, like, check, Jira task, resolved. <laughs> you need to add, like, an Easter egg in there, too, where, like, mm. if somebody hits the space bar on the homepage, then, like, they can shoot the little moving character or something. <laughs> yeah, you build a whole like Galaga in it or something. Exactly. No, no, this, if this was this was a granny. Uh, this was a, a grandmother with a cape and a little dollar sign on the back. Oh, I love that. So, in the Android animation book, does it mm. take you so, through some of the thinking as to when and when not to use certain kinds of animations, or would you need to reference the UX book to better understand, like? Yeah. What to apply when? That's a good question. So we, I mean, it, it does that from a technical standpoint of like when to use this API versus that API. And we were considering adding in a section or, or a significant amount of verbiage kind of talking about like the UX implications and, and when it makes the most right. sense to do a thing. We ended up punting on that because one, the book was already full to the brim and and you know space was limited and then we really wanted to focus in on the technical side and the how to but there's definitely right. space for for a lot of conversation about like when does it make sense to do this stuff when does it add real value when is it just nice when is it not nice and it adds no value because there's definitely animations i've used that make everything worse even though they're beautiful you know they take like 5 seconds right. for something to evolve over the screen and when you're doing that mm-hmm. the 70th time, you're like, go, 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 go. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so there, there, we didn't get to that in the book, but there's definitely there's definitely space for that somewhere. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's really important to impart. Yeah, yeah. but just because you can doesn't mean you doesn't should. Doesn't mean you should. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything in the book on uh, on optimization so that you're uh, you know <laughs> trying to reduce frame rates or anything like that? So there was I know in the section that I wrote there was um, effort put into deal with some stuttering. I don't know that I'd necessarily call it on the optimization side. It was more like mm. when you combine these two things, everything goes to hell because welcome to Android. So here's how to get around that. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are like some tips and tricks for avoiding stuttering and things along those lines. But um, Excellent. Yeah, yeah. And so what did you learn writing the book that you didn't know going in about Android animation or about Android development generally? So first I learned, or at least clarified in my mind, and, and I'm repeating myself, but like how big the surface of animations is. It's just, I, I remember being a, um, you know, have, having less experience with Android and being confused about, well, do I use animation or do I use animator or, or what's going on here? And this book not only solidified that sort of knowledge, but made me realize how unapproachable it is. And, and, and one of the reasons why I think this book provides a lot of value is that it, it's just the API service is so big and it can be so confusing to figure out when to use one type of animation or another. Um, and I, I learned about additional frameworks that I hadn't even thought about. I spent a lot of time in the transition framework, which is yet another one, yet another way to do a big class of animations in Android. Um, and a lot of these frameworks are rather particular. Uh, that's my <laughs> kind way to describe Android APIs. So I got some, uh, um, I got my hands dirty in some very particular APIs and got to explain some of that. So it was a, it was definitely a learning experience. And I, I now know a lot more about all of the different breadth of Android animation APIs, which is fun. So top two or three that somebody should be familiar with right now, like if they're, if they're listening in and thinking like, okay, I am junior in the Android world, what should be in my toolkit? What should I be using regularly? Which ones? Yeah. So I think, First, I'll split that off into whether you've jumped into Jetpack Compose land or if you haven't. If you've jumped into Jetpack Compose land, then Compose actually has an awesome set of um, animations and stuff. It's much more intuitive and, and you don't have 10 layers of deprecated frameworks. So if you're in Compose land, focus on the docs that the Android developers provide because they're, they're actually good and can explain everything in that world. Focus on some of the built-in sort of simple animations. There's crossfades and simple animated visibility things. That stuff is awesome, and it's easy or or a little bit more simple to to grok. If you're in, if you're like 99.9% of Android developers and you're in XML and View World, it's really important to know about the animation API, which is this um, super very old API that is in that like it's sort of deprecated but actually it's also still used heavily in a bunch of modern uh, APIs that Android provides so learn about the animation API and then the animator API because the animator API is really how you're going to do most view animations these days so those two are the the biggins it's funny how like so 
I'm iOS only, and honestly, I'm not, mostly I'm not a dev. Mm. But so as somebody hearing all the buzzwords, <laughs> I was under the impression Jetpack Compose, that's just the thing all you guys are doing over there on Android. So that's not statistically <laughs> true at all, is it? Oh, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I imagine it's, it's, I guess Swift UI is farther along, but like, do you think the majority of iOS apps are written in Swift UI? I suspect most are still in UI kit, but we were just talking about this. No, oh, yeah. the vast, vast <laughs> yeah. majority are still in UI kit. Yeah. But beginner learners now, yeah. like if you come new to um, iOS development, mm. you're going to start learning with Swift UI. Sure, that makes sense. But then eventually, I mean, for the next three or four years or whatever, I think that beginners will still have to learn UI kit the same way they'll still have Absolutely. to learn XML because if you want to work with any app that was written in the last, you know, five years, there you go, 10 so, years. <laughs> this was this was the first year that Jetpack Compose was fully out of beta, am I correct? I believe so, yeah, like within, within the last, not 2022. But within the one year time frame of now. But, but what I'm saying, yeah. since Google I Google I, O, I think yes. Google I O is when they basically said Jetpack Compose is final, go forth, go run. I I think that they did the Google thing they did, which was they were like, Jetpack Compose will be ready soon. Yeah. <laughs> in three months or something like that. I, I think one O came out in sometime during the summer. Could be wrong about that, but that's what my intuition is telling me. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of now reactive ways to to do your UX yeah. on both platforms. Yeah, which is interestingly enough another topic we have for you is reactive <laughs> programming, segue. which is what a segue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, I was gonna say I'm a big fan of reactive programming, both in the in the declarative UI world of, of Jetpack Compose and Swift UI and and React. And then also in the library world of like RX Java and RX Swift, I haven't used Combine. Combine? Did we decide that it's Combine? combine yeah, the I know. Harvester. Um, combine is the Thresher. Yeah, yeah we, there we, we, go. we went through that and a lot. Not, and this is not that. This is Combine, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still gonna think of it. I still am gonna think of it as like a heart, like a machine harvesting wheat. That's what goes through my head. I don't know why, but that's what goes through my head. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, haven't touched combined yet, but um, but I'm a big fan of reactive programming and all of its incantations. So, what was it that got you looking at reactive? Was it just something that that you you noticed or read about and were like, okay, I've got to find <laughs> out more, or was there like a need that brought it into you? Yeah, so there, there's uh, this like very interesting um, trend line in Android development around reactive programming. So, uh, unlike iOS, Android typically didn't have a good answer for asynchronous work, which is astounding. Like in iOS, there was always GCD and queues and, and this whole, you know, framework and, and stuff built on top of um, asynchronous programming and it worked fine. You know, it works just fine. In Android... And it's the, better now. And it's, and it's even better now. Um, in Android... For a long time, there was this concept called async task, which was this one very boilerplate heavy way of, of doing async, like work on a background thread and then getting back on the main thread. And it was very buggy and it there were a lot of foot guns and there were just lots of issues. Then people started kind of just making threads, but it turns out that's very memory intensive and so on. 
And so eventually the Android community started using RxJava to do to literally just make a network call and then get results back on the main thread and show them in some UI. Like very simple things that, that really should just be included in the framework. Um, people started using RxJava for it, and I was in that same boat. And it, it's kind of like a gateway drug. Like you start using it for your network <laughs> calls and your database layers, and then all of a sudden it's in your view model layers and and so on and so forth. So that's how I got Can into it. Can we step up one, one level here sure. and say for real beginners, so what is reactive programming? <laughs> that's a good one. I'm stumped by that question. Um, I, I think of reactive programming as, so it, it's going to depend who you ask. I think a lot of people think of a set of libraries that implement reactive paradigms. So when I think of reactive programming, I think of programming where you're um, reacting to changes. So you, so like the typical format that that's taken in, in my programming life is you have some stream like object and you're listening for updates on the stream and then you're reacting to those updates and you can take that stream and you can manipulate it. You can map it. You can filter it. You can combine it with other streams. It's like a very flowing and moving um, data sort of model of programming. Nowadays, you, you also have all the UI frameworks like React, like Swift UI and Jetpack Compose, where you, you know, have some state. And then you're listening, you're kind of implicitly listening for updates to that state and, and sort of re-rendering the whole world. It's a very, it's very mm -hmm. declarative, which is another word that could be um, defined in another, in an equally verbose rant. This is, it's important to define terms yeah. within yeah. development, right? Yeah. Um, another thing that I think of as a hallmark of reactive programming, but this may not be accurate, but is um, that what the tools you've used, the kit you use to program with will display correctly on any number of devices. So if I've got my, you know, my iPhone, pretend this is a really tiny <laughs> one, you know, yeah, versus smart. my giant monitor, because I've used a reactive approach. And I'm thinking this more from the web world. Yeah. If I use a reactive approach, then it's going to look good on various display sizes where if I haven't, because I'm some kind of moronic old dinosaur, then, you know, Which then you know, one of my code is, yeah, I know. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Um, that's why my code's breaking and, you know, they want to fire me. So mm. is that also part of the reactive world or the reactive so user experience? I think that's, that that's a different reactive world. Um, I think the, the like reactive UI design is, is just like you're saying, I, I mean, it's a little bit foreign to me as a mobile developer because I think it's less like in the web world, you, you gotta be, yeah, it is. It's you gotta do kind of wild world. stuff, right? Like you gotta have to reconfigure everything. Um, but I think, I think that's kind of in a, in a different, in a different category versus reactive programming, at least the reactive program that I'm talking about. Great example of how labels, you know, make everything confusing are and are necessary. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah. I I talk about the fact that, that Swift UI, and we, we talked about it before the show, uh, is very easy for rendering UI elements. But it's that hooking into the stream of data mm. is where things aren't necessarily as as buttering your toast as, <laughs> as you'd think it's um 
you know, combined itself has that whole concept of multiple streams and how you can mm. basically say, well, both of these can be true or one can be false. Mm. And if this is that, and then eventually you come down to, well, here is my state. Yeah. Something comes out at the end. Yeah. So something comes out at yeah. the end. And I, and I think it's that cooking in the middle that is, uh, that that's really fascinating, but also yes. a, a little bit daunting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I was talking about kind of how the Android world got to RxJava. There is then an after that of how the Android world, you know, is kind of in the process of moving away from some of this stuff towards um, coroutines and, and things that are maybe a little bit less, less of like a fundamental mind shift. Because for if you get like fully into the sort of Rx world, or I assume the combined world is similar, you you really have to kind of like take your program and like flip it inside out and then look at it in a, in a whole different way. And that is, um, you, that, that's a whole thing. And it's, I, as a, as a lover of reactive programming, recognize that it may not be the right choice for, for most apps. It's the sort of thing where like, you know, if you have a team of people that really loves reactive programming, it can be a really magical thing, but very, you know, people, there are also lots of people who aren't a huge fan of it for totally valid reasons. And then it, it can be really painful because it's a, mm -hmm. it's just a whole crazy thing. Yeah. How well does it mix? Uh, if you're using, if you're doing work in Kotlin, but you also have work in RX Java, does it mix? Yeah. So I, RX Java, one of the cool things about Kotlin is it interrupts with Java so well. So RX Java works like 99.9% perfectly in Kotlin. And then there's an RX Kotlin library um, that deceptively is not like a whole rewrite. It just adds a few extra methods. Like it's really just a few convenience methods to make RX Java 100% complete in Kotlin rather than just 99.9% complete. Okay, and so to add our commercial break, so if we were to read reactive programming with Kotlin, Alex's previous book, we learn all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you were to read reactive <laughs> sponsored by Alex. Um if you were to read reactive programming with Kotlin, you would get a great uh introduction to both RX Java, the the library that facilitates a lot of reactive programming in the Android world, and I think more importantly, like the fundamental concepts of how you can like right. really jump in and and go all the way into reactive programming on Android. Yeah. So is it possible to explain here a little what, you know, what conceptually is different between reactive programming and coroutines? Yeah, absolutely. So in reactive programming and, and so the, <laughs> everything is so complicated in these worlds. It's always like, there's always all these like ifs and ands, ors, buts, and so on. And I'm going to give a bunch of those now. Um, so in reality, there, it's not really like, coroutines versus reactive programming coroutines are like a are are a more base principle they're you know they're a way to to create like really lightweight threads um so that you can do you can spin up a million coroutines and they can all execute and you can be honky dory and if you were to try to spin up a million threads everything would explode and you'd run out of memory and so on so coroutines are really a way to to like 
do some work, hand it off to the compiler and say, hey, I'm waiting, and then to get control back from the compiler and to say, or from your, your runtime, and to execute some stuff. So they're like a super, super lightweight thread? Yeah, yeah, that's really what they're like. Um, whereas reactive programming in RxJava is kind of, it's built on a layer on top of that. In reality, you can, and they did, write a reactive library in coroutines. Um, they call it Flow. That's sort of the reactive coroutines library that everyone uses on Android. Um, so you can do reactive programming with coroutines, and you can also do it without them in the normal Rx world. Um, the nice thing about coroutines is that they they make it really, really simple to do those sort of one-off you know, network calls and database calls instead of needing to go through some of the ceremony that you have to do with RxJava that includes having a special type and, and applying different threads for it to go on and subscribing and, and you know, a network call will, will cost you five lines in RxJava, whereas it only costs you one or two lines in coroutine world. So they make that sort of thing really simple. And then they use and some of the... And in coroutine world, do you not have to do any of the thread management yourself? So... You do still. You might have to, is, is kind of the answer. Um, a lot of it ends up getting hidden behind other libraries and abstractions, so, so you, don't, you might not need to deal with it directly. In reality, you know, if you're in Android world and you want to make a network call, ultimately, at the end of the day, that network call has to happen on a thread that's not the main thread so that everything right. doesn't hang. In, right. in RxJava world, you're, you're pretty explicit about how that happens. You, you basically tell, um, you know, the system, do this work on this other thread or this other thread pool. With coroutines, ultimately that is happening, but it's often handled by, like, the networking library. The networking library will say, I'm going to do this on another thread, and I'm going to expose this as, as just a, a, a coroutine, a suspending function. And then I, as the mm -hmm. consumer, might not actually really care where it's happening. I just know that I have this suspending function, and when it's finished, my network call is finished, and I can use the results in my, in my program, in my UI thread. It's all a little so confusing. So from that standpoint, <laughs> coroutines sound easier to use. Yeah, I, I think that in my experience, for the simple case, uh, for just getting a network call, you know, getting something from the network, getting something from the database... I think it's no, no comparison. Coroutines are easier to use, and there's a lot of built-in support in Android now. They've really bet on it, which is cool. So, for a lot of things, you don't need to worry about cleaning up your your network call. You don't like canceling it if something happens. You right. don't need to worry really about the threading stuff. You just kind of do like it. It just all happens behind the scenes. It just you happens. make the call, and it does all the proper housekeeping yeah. and. But the reality, so the, the spot where I think things get a little bit trickier is that sometimes things aren't just a network call or a database call. Maybe you're listening to socket changes. Maybe you have a, a reactive database that gives you updates. Maybe you need to combine mm -hmm. these things. And that's where reactive programming really starts to shine. Like when you have things that are natural streams of data, like a socket emitting socket events or a database mm -hmm. that's emitting updates and you want to combine them and, and change them around, that's where reactive programming becomes really nice. And that's when you have to, or when you typically start using Flow, the reactive library built on top of coroutines. And while I think Flow is, is 
really cool and has a lot of awesome, powerful paradigms. I have found that there's a lot of challenges around some of the tooling, like the debugger doesn't seem to like <laughs> flow or coroutines as much. Um, there are operators that are, are not quite ready yet, and so it's still a little bit earlier in its life cycle than, than a very mature product like ArxJava. But it's still great. And it's still so reactive I, programming. So it's I still see wonderful. potential for a new book there. Yeah, new book. Next book. <laughs> yeah, actually, so... We'll tell uh, Sandra. Yeah. Just to... to wh one of the things that I like about the um, reactive programming with Colin book is I actually think that you could go through the book and then have a very easy time of getting into Flow and any other reactive library. Because fundamentally... Oh, okay. What you're learning is is the reactive stream principles. That's the hard thing to grok. That's what takes a mental shift. That's what you need to build up intuition with. And once you have, it's kind of like learning programming for the first time. Like it's hard to learn your first language, but your second and third language, not nearly as hard. And that's how I think that that kind of maps. Oh, that's well explained. Thank you. So, so where do you feel, you mentioned a couple of pain points in in reactive oh, yeah. what do you think really still needs ironing out to make it more robust to make it well less pain points yeah so i think that some of the pain points with reactive programming is that mental model shift it's just having to figure out like what the heck is a stream what does it mean to flat map a stream you know what are the what does it mean to zip streams things along those lines and and they're just since they're so alien to the way that we have typically programmed and the very imperative way that we've typically programmed, I think there's not much to do there other than to learn it or to abstract it away, which is what frameworks like, you know, Jetpack Compose and SwiftUI and React have done. They've kind of taken those concepts and said, what if we didn't ask anyone to flat map anything and we just kind of magically behind the scenes updated things? Um, so that's one way to solve that pain point, just hide all of it. Um, and then I also kind of referenced some of the pain points with in the coroutine flow world. I think that's just a function of, of maturity. I'm sure over the next few years, some of the tooling support will get better. You'll have all the operators that you need. Best practices will, will you know, the community will learn best practices, and I'm sure that'll just naturally get better. We wish we had more time to fit in the entire interview, but if you want to see everything we said, you can watch the whole episode on YouTube in just a few weeks. Alex, I really, really, really want to say I thank you for coming on. It's been uh, two seasons I haven't seen you, and you have been missed. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, Susanna yeah. does a fantastic job. Oh, I yeah. don't think I could do this season without Susanna at all, with, <laughs> with all of the research going on behind the scenes as well. Um, you can find Alex online on Twitter at AlexSullivan444. Are you still not really using Twitter? or I, unfortunately, am using Twitter a lot more than I used to. <laughs> not that's unfortunate. A, that's a good... Oh, no, it's unfortunate. That's a good New Year's resolution. Use use less Twitter. Yeah, now I'm more oh, on Twitter. Oh, that's funny. I'm trying to use more Twitter, so... Oh, watch out, because it, it's a slippery slope, and then you're... Just the in the dev world. I think, oh, yeah. like, the iOS dev Twitter is, like, super um, supportive and oh, that's awesome. kind. Mm. And yeah, there so are the world, so actually. many other parts of Twitter mm -hmm. that, that are not. <laughs> not. No, 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 so, no, no, and no. I don't go there <laughs> no, anymore. Yeah.
Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, I, I was like 99% Android dev on there and some like iOS dev. And then I, I think I, I, I like followed one political figure or something and it, and it, it just crashed. Yeah, it was a terrible decision. It was a terrible life decision. So Yes, no, you need to just cut that negativity yeah, out. Let's yeah. not do 2022 you that way. You don't need that negativity in your life. No, I did not. Yeah. But if you are looking for negativity, you can find Alex on Twitter at AlexSullivan444. Susanna, you can find online at Suzgupta. That's S-U-Z-G-U-P-T-A. I am Podcast Drew, Podcast D-R-U. Our next episode, just to show you that we don't talk about RayWenderlich.com consistently, or it's all about <laughs> RayWenderlich.com, we're going to bring in Paul Hudson of Hacking with Swift. Two Straws himself is, is coming to join us over here on the Ray Wenderlich podcast, and I am really looking forward. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, geeking out about that. Two Me too. weeks after that, the following episode, Jeff Rames and Liam Earl Sun and Sean are going to join us. We're going to talk about preparing for iOS interviews. And this uh, may be the season that you're looking for a new position. And we've talked about some of the, the skills you can have, but this is a, a really good deep dive into that. And I'm really looking forward to that. So on behalf of Alex Sullivan and Susanna Skyer-Gupta, I am Drew Freeman, even though my name does not say Drew Freeman in the corner, but that's my mistake for today, not yours. We'll see you in two weeks. In the meantime, it's back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. See you next time. <laughs>